is a code of silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 31st, 2008. For newcomers, and there's always newcomers, that's why it sounds monotonous to those who tune in regularly, there's always newcomers coming in. I advise them to go to my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and download as many of the talks I've given in the past as they wish. And they should do as much as they can while the websites are still up there, because big changes are coming. And I try to give you the shortcuts to the big picture and all the big scams that are taken for granted as reality and how a system that runs our lives is moving on to its upgrade and they plan to upgrade us all along with it and also to bring us down uh, in numbers, that is. Also look into Alan Watt's sentinel.eu for transcripts which you can download and these are off the talks I've given and print them up and pass them on to your friends. They are in the various languages of Europe. And here we are at the end of another uh, year, uh, prosperous for a few and pretty horrible for many, as once again we've watched the people of the world being looted by big banks in collusion with their own governments that come to their aid to help bail them out, supposedly, so we're told even though there's no record of how they're spending the cash. It's rather astonishing to watch the replays as if you've studied history, because all this is a replay. It's been done many times in the past. And at least, as I say, at least once a century, they allow you to accumulate and accumulate, and then they take it all from you. Uh, things don't disappear in crashes. It's simply transferred into fewer and fewer hands. And uh, I talked about their, their book called The Robber Barns before, and it's an excellent book to go into for the information of the big bankers looting the American public in the late 1800s. And not only that, it goes into all the scams that Canada and the U.S. were doing at the same time by having uh, railroads taxpayer-funded and built all through the country to network up and they were giving them literally hundreds of miles on either side of the track. Just just taking it, in fact, because they left it wide open how much they wanted. And it's a sort of wink-wink, nudge-nudge type deal with the big high masons of the day. And they ended up with incredible amounts of vast acreage across the continent. But all funded by the taxpayer. But you might call a, a, a public-private invest, investing um, together so that the private could end up owning it. And that's not bad if you have big ambitions and you have a great idea to build something huge across a continent and get the taxpayer to, to, to fund it all for you and it costs you nothing. I mean, that's a good deal. That's a pretty good deal. And that was happening. I have old newspaper articles from the time period in Canada and the States, political satires and cartoons, 
uh, talking about this, and it was just quite hilarious in how brazen it was all done at the time. But once again, the major historians brush it under the carpet, quiet it down, the media pulls in with every generation, helps to cover it up, and starts to omit it from the history books until we've no memory of it, so that they can pull the same stunt again. That's why they do that, you see. And that's why they've never changed laws that would stop it from happening again. As I've said before, the big question has always been asked by people down through the ages, does the economy exist to serve the people, or does the people exist to serve the economy? And they have told us at the top, yeah, we're here to serve them. And make no, no mistake about it. I'll be back with more after this break. Of the future, 
big dome over it. And I looked at it and says, well, that's a very small Toronto. And he, I says, well, how, and how will people travel? He says, well, they'll travel underground to the destinations. But he says, the greater Toronto won't be there then. And so I knew something big was coming up down the road. And here we are today with the reports from the military and all the big think tanks all working together with the big foundations and on the top of the foundations that make a government policy. That's very important to understand. International government policy. And here we are on a roll into changing our whole system to to save the planet. The idea that was dreamed up by the Club of Rome in the 1970s, but 1972, and published in their own book in the 90s called The First Global Revolution. And nothing's going to change it. So here's an article that ties in with this one. Because it's from a, a Princeton physicist who calls global warming science mistaken, being very, very polite. He says mistaken. That's a very polite way to say things. You don't say things like, it's a lot of crap. Print uh, from Princeton, you see. And it's by Michael Asher. This comes from the Daily Tech website. December 23rd, 2008. It says, Dr. William Happer from Princeton University, he's a scientist who was fired by Al Gore, and Al Gore was vice president, when he was told, science will not intrude on public policy. In other words, the facts won't matter. We don't want facts. That's what the agenda. Noted energy expert and Princeton physicist, Dr. Will Happer, has sharply criticized global warming alarmism. Happer, author of over 200 scientific papers and a past director of energy research at the Department of Energy, called Fears Over Global Warming Mistaken. He says, I have spent a long research career studying physics that is closely related to the greenhouse effect, said Happer. Fears about man-made global warming are unwarranted and are not based on good science. Dr. Happer views climate change as a predominantly natural process. The Earth's climate is changing now as it always has. There's no evidence that the changes differ in any qualitative way from those of the past. In 1991, Happer was appointed Director of Energy Research for the U.S. Department of Energy. In 1993, he testified before Congress the scientific data didn't support widespread fears about the dangers of the ozone hole and global warming, remarks that caused then-Vice President Al Gore to fire him. He says this, I was told that science was not going to intrude on public policy, he said. I did not need the job that badly. So there you are. See, the facts don't matter because it's an agenda. And the facts are not going to intrude on public policy. Happer's latest remarks were made yesterday as he asked to be included in a Senate, a Senate Environment and Public Works report of scientists disputing global warming alarmism. Happer joined 650 other scientists on the list, many of whom have been interviewed previously by Daily Tech. Computer models used to generate frightening scenarios from increasing levels of carbon dioxide have scant credibility. Happer concluded. In response to Happer's remarks, Senator James Inhofe, ranking minority member of the Environment and Public Works Committee, said, 
endless claims of a consensus on man-made global warming grows less and less credible every day. But regardless of the facts or how less credible it becomes, it is a must-be, the same as the economy is going to bring us into this new eco-worship we all serve Mother Earth with white-coated scientists with a new priesthood who will tell us how to live and what to do from birth to death. And if you can breed and if you can't breed, because you might have inferior genes that could get passed on and all this kind of stuff. They want a really good economy where all the unfit types simply don't exist and don't pass on genes that are, you know, dumb type genes. They're not they're the wrong sort of genes. And that's, that's all been drafted up and discussed openly in the big foundations that make and create and have signed into law public policy through their politicians that they often control. It's not a good world that's coming up, but we've been getting trained through it step by step, mainly since 2001, with all the hype about terrorism. They couldn't have started the whole agenda and kicked it off into this phase without 2001 happening. It was a must-be once again. It had to happen. And this article I'm about to read now from the Mail Online ties into this because, see, prior to 2001, there were changes happening. The people took through gradualism and accepted gradually through the war on drugs. Now, all these wars had other purposes. And when presidents declare a war on something, you better believe they mean they're using the law, you see, of the land to get an agenda through. And with the war on drugs, we saw schools being turned into basically prison camps that you go into every day and, are, and you're locked in there till you get out. And then gradually we saw them having raids in locker rooms that started it off. Then it was, it was passing through electronic gateways that would monitor if you had anything on you that you shouldn't have. Then it was padding down as well as going through the gates with, with uh, armed guards there. And it goes on and on and on. See, a whole generation worldwide, because we are global, a whole generation have been trained and got reared, being padded down, thinking nothing of showing ID and passing through electronic screening. That was to train that generation. Why bother with the older ones who might dig in their heels a little bit? You always go for the youth who will grow up thinking it's all quite natural. And we do have a generation growing up since 9-11, 2001, who have lived in this martial law society since birth. And they're at school now. And they're going through all this stuff, patting down. ID checks. A lot of them get, get thumb scanning and so on. That's to train them. This was all coordinated by big think tanks many, many, many years ago to make sure it happened worldwide at the same time. Mail online. And what's in Britain happens in the U.S. very quickly now, often simultaneously, and it definitely happens along with the British Commonwealth countries, Canada being one of them, with this strange archy called monarchy, monarchical government, they call it, or monarchical democracy. Two as completely odds with each other, but that's what they call it. This is from December 31st, 2008. 
the nanny state guide to giving children of five alcohol. Listen to this. Parents are to be issued with government uh, guidance about letting their children try alcohol at home. This is what the government politicians and bureaucrats do. Currently, children as young as five can legally drink at home if they're supervised by their parents. Many adults allow their offspring to try small amounts of beer or wine in the hope that they will adopt a sensible attitude towards drinking. For the first time, however, Chief Medical Officer Sir Liam Donaldson is drawing up a series of recommendations which will include how much alcohol parents can safely give to their children. Opposition MPs have criticised the government's approach, claiming it smacks off the nanny state. Of course it does. We won't be able to turn or move without permission shortly. We'll be back with more after these messages. Which was quite normal when I was young. 
But you see, they've so turned the whole education system into this matriarchal society, coupled with science as their god, that any young male showing any energy whatsoever is automatically diagnosed as hyperactive and put on Ritalin. It's, quite, it's astonishing what's happened, even in, in that sphere, where they've actually began to drug so many young males. And we know these drugs used long-term actually shrink the brain, but that, again, is part of the agenda. You don't want young men growing up to be good leaders with critical thinking abilities if you're taking them through a time in history where they might rebel and have the brains to do it properly. This is long-term war strategy that's been used on them. Getting back to the article, officials said they would be contacting schools to seek proper justification for the equipment's use. Classwatch is set to face further scrutiny over the role of shadow children's minister Tim Lugton, the firm's £30,000 a year chairman. The equipment, which includes ceiling-mounted microphones and cameras and a hard drive recorder housed in a secure cabinet, is operating in around 85 primary and secondary schools and colleges. This is already before they got permission from on high. The systems cost around £3,000 to install in each classroom or can be leased for about £50 per classroom per month. The firm says the devices act as impartial witnesses. Huh which can provide evidence in disputes and curb bullying and unruly behavior and protect teachers against false allegations of abuse, plus provide evidence acceptable in court. The firm also promotes its equipment as an educational tool. See, this is how they, this is how they could market anything. They could, they, could market, mark, they could market death rays for teachers to use on the, on the pupils under educational tools allowing key lessons in class discussions to be recorded for revision or for pupils who have missed important material or who may need extra help, which means drugging them generally. Schools are required to inform all parents that microphones and cameras are monitoring their children. But last night, an information commissioner's office spokesman said the system raised privacy concerns for teachers, students, and their parents. He said the ICO would contact Classwatch and schools using the devices. And you know something else who have been to all the behaviorists, all the psychologists we've been watching this stuff to find out how to control us all better down the road. This is all part of it too. And even though they say that they're closed circuit televisions, if you see the movie that came out years ago uh, on, on, it's called Enemy of the State, all these closed circuit TVs are actually all interconnected, they have devices in them when you buy them that literally will give off signals that are picked up elsewhere and big government organizations are watching everywhere you go, everywhere you go whether it's into a schoolroom or, or anywhere else, into a subway they can follow you through the streets and all the rest of it and into the underground this is the kind of world they're building up to make us all safer it's going to be a worse system than the Soviet Union could ever possibly have dreamed of. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
folks, I'm Alan Ward. We're cutting through Matrix talking about lots of privacy and how we're being spied upon from every quarter. And reading an article here talking about the pretty obvious CCTV cameras through schools. And believe you me, it's a worldwide agenda. Every country is in the Western Hemisphere, at least. And also find it in Australia and New Zealand. They're getting the same thing. It's funny because none of this is ever really brought up in Parliament, anybody's Parliament, before it happens. It's just given the old boys' go-ahead, the old boys' network's go-ahead. It says here that the Information Commissioner's Office spokesman says, the use of microphones to record conversations is deeply intrusive, and we will be seeking further clarification on their use in schools, and if necessary, we will use Further guidance to head teachers. In other words, it's a done deal. Martin Johnson, Deputy General Secretary of the Association of Teachers and Lecturers, added, We strongly object to schools or colleagues or colleges having free reign to use CCTV cameras and microphones, especially in sensitive areas such as classrooms, changing rooms, and toilets. Oh, I'm sure they'll soon get over that. We expect CCTV cameras to be used appro- appropriately and not to spy on staff or pupils. So, what else are they there for? What do they think they're there for? Classwatch director Andrew Jenkins, who set up the firm with his wife, said he welcomed further discussions with the information commissioner. I'm sure he's been given the go-ahead at much higher levels. He said Classwatch has tried to guard against accusations of bringing Big Brother into schools. What else would you call it? Accusations of, I guess it was all misperceptions. The system can be turned on and off as they wish, he said. It's a bit like a video at home. This is not Big Brother. The system is under the control of the teacher. Really? Oh, really? You can guarantee that, eh? As for the company had taken account of the Commissioner's strict rules and workplace monitoring, he said compliance with the Data Protection Act has always been a priority. Schools are required to ensure they follow protocols which recognize the privacy of pupils and staff. The overwhelming experience has been that people feel safer. Oh, they feel safer and that teachers feel more in control of their classrooms when they're all getting watched. See, that's what it's... To make us all feel safer, that unknown people are watching you. That makes us all very safe, doesn't it? Schools are required to ensure they follow protocols which recognize the privacy of pupils and staff. The overwhelming experience has been that people feel safer. Last night, Tony Frontbencher... He's a front bencher at Parliament. Mr. Loughton insisted there was no conflict between his political role and part-time job. But there's no conflict. He's a politician, and he's one of the heads of this company. Ah. He said, I'm not the shadow minister for schools. I am the shadow minister for children. So that means okay. <laughs> I don't speak on school security. He declares his involvement with the firm on the Member of Parliament's Register of Interest and added, I've never sought to advocate this. Of course he hasn't. It was a surprise to him. It went through this very carefully before I got involved in it, and it doesn't conflict with anything I do. Not at all. Not at all. No. Labour MP Barry Shearman, the chairman of the Commons Education Committee, said, if the Information Commissioner is concerned, we all should be concerned, and I, I think that my committee should look at it when Parliament returns. A school's department spokesman said, we do not prescribe what schools must do to tackle security. 
that's the way of getting out of it and letting it go ahead. So security, you see, everything's to do with security. It's like going through the airport and holding your pants up, feeling utterly dejected and humiliated. You are meant to feel humiliated. That's the purpose of it, taking your shoes off, holding up your pants. That's what you do in slave labor camps when you're teaching the lesser people a lesson. We're being taught that we're utterly, not just humbly, low on the agenda and that we're just owned by the big boys at the top. We're being taught to, to act objectively and to have no pride. We're being humiliated. You must destroy pride. You must create a form of apathy in people to get them to obey and do what they're told. And this next article ties right in with this and where it's going. And it's from CNN.com Technology. Uh, this article here, I can't see the exact date on it, but it says Tel Aviv, Israel. Keep your shoes and belts on waiting in long airport security lines to pass through metal detectors. may be soon a thing of the past. Security experts say focus is shifting from analyzing the content of carry-ons to analyzing the content of passengers' intentions and emotions. We are seeing a needed paradigm shift when it comes to security, said Omer Laviv, CEO of Athena GS3, an Israeli-based security company. This brain fingerprinting, or technology, which checks for behavioral intent, is much more developed than we think. Nowhere is the need for cutting-edge security more acute than Israel, which faces constant security threats. For this reason, Israel has become a leader in developing security technology, and I should add selling it as well. Several Israeli-based technology companies are developing detection systems that pick up signs of emotional strain. You can imagine going to these airports, and here you are taking your shoes off, taking your belt off, holding your pants up, worrying if you're going to catch your plane, your flight or not, or get stopped inside and padded down. And here they are looking for signs of emotional strain. I'm sure everybody will fail on that one. Unless those that are tranquilized, they may get through. A psychological red flag that a passenger may intend to commit an act of terror, really. Speedier and less intrusive than metal detectors, these systems may eventually restore some efficiency to the airplane boarding process. We used to have it before all this far started. One firm called WeCU, pronounced WeCU Technologies, employs a combination of infrared technology, remote sensors and imagers, and flashing of subliminal messages, such as a photo of Osama bin Laden. Developers say the combination of these technologies can detect a person's reaction to them, stimuli by reading body temperatures, heart rate, and respiration, the signals a terrorist unwittingly emits before he plans to commit an attack. They could show you George Bush or Al Gore. I'm sure alarm bells will still go off. With these technologies, the emphasis is on speed and seamlessness. Ehud Givon, CEO of We Can't We See You, envisions a day when passengers can breeze through a security checkpoint in 20 to 30 seconds. Well, that will be true because, you see, they're cutting back on flights everywhere. And we know that just like Agenda 21, we'll have no private transportation and all be hemmed in your city limits where you're assigned 
This is to be the same with those who travel in aircraft. It'll be essential travel only. That's all part of it too in this lovely global system of ours. This is although traditional security profiling can discriminate by race and religion, security experts say behavioral profiling is more fair, it's more effective and less expensive. We see you has received grants from the Transportation Security Administration within the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, yet because we're one of the biggest lobby groups. You see, that's how democracy works. The biggest lobby group gets all the deals, and they get heard, you see, which hopes to implement a system to pinpoint internal threats such as airline employees intending terrorist acts. Once these technologies are in place, a passenger may pass through a security screening without realizing it. So not only are, are they going to do this to you, uh, they're going to intrude on you without even knowing it. For example, passengers could use an automated check-in system or gaze at a screen with departures information without realizing they've just been exposed to the words Islamic Jihad, written in Arabic. These stimuli, explains Yvonne, will intrinsically elicit some sort of biometric response, whether the passenger knows it or not. That can be picked up by we see you strategically placed sensors. I believe that we introduce a new layer in security, Givon says. This is something that couldn't be done in the past, finding the connection between a certain individual and intent to harm. The Orwelling sounding startup has gone further to develop a system that detects a passenger's behavioral patterns, intentions by scanning their every step as you walk, literally. While walking around certain parts of the airport terminal, a passenger may not realize he stepped on a smart carpet filled with hidden biometric sensors. The technology is still under development, says Givon, who believes it will be strong enough to pick up biometric information from a footstep. If a passenger is wearing heavy hiking boots, for example, we see you will rely on biometric sensors combined with video and thermal biometric imaging to detect malicious intents. These feet were made for walking, or these boots. Another option from ECU is a smart seat. Listen to this, a smart seat or cushion filled with hidden biometric sensors that could provide a more detailed read on someone sitting in an airport waiting area, Yvonne says. So you really sit down without, without these feelers all sensing you and giving off information. Well, technology sounds like something from a James Bond flick or even a Clockwork Orange. It's more like Clockwork Orange. Yvonne insists that passengers will not find the techniques intrusive. We don't want you to feel that you are being interrogated. So you're going to be interrogated, but we don't want you to feel that you're being interrogated, he says. Yvonne is negotiating contracts with airports worldwide and believes his company's technology may be implemented as soon as 2010. Well, they'll know that through other lobbying groups, you see. Nimi Cisco, another Israeli-based technology company, believes the key to a person's emotions and intentions lies in their voice. The company's patenting LVA, or Layered Voice Analysis Technology, can pick up verbal cues from a passenger who may pose a threat. Arthur Wells put me, that's their way out of it. Unlike a polygraph test which checks for lies, Nimi Cisco's systems work as an emotional detector says Nemi Misko's CEO, Amir Lieberman. In other words, it's not what passengers say, but how they say it. 
Nemesisco's devices use a series of patented signal processing algorithms that can differentiate between a normal voice and a stressed voice. Here you are waiting for your plane. You're probably getting held up by security. They ask you a few questions. You sound kind of frustrated. And this thing's going to register there. So they'll hold you even longer. And you'll miss your flight. And you really will be upset. If emotional stress is detected, officials can determine if the passenger should be taken aside for further questioning. So there you go. The system works on the premise, on the premise that all voices have a certain frequency and any deviation of that baseline frequency can indicate stress. Lieberman says it takes approximately 5 to 10 seconds for their system to capture a normal voice in casual conversation, which establishes a baseline. Your system then measures changes from the baseline voice that signify an increase in stress, excitement, anticipation, hesitation, or other emotions that can indicate a potential terrorism threat. It'll be the same emotions you get if you're scared of flying. It'll be the same thing if you saw something jumping up on your screen that says, a jihad, and here you are getting on a plane. I'm sure you're going to be rather upset. A computer process uh, processes the voice patterns and then flashes words such as high risk, medium risk, excited or highly stressed through his system. Lieberman says he can see what's going on in your brain. That's not intrusive. That's not intrusive at all, is it? Versions of Nemesisco's system already have been successfully tested at Moscow, Dumedo or Divo International Airport, where officials use it to target criminals and drug traffickers. A version was recently implemented at another major international airport which Lieberman declined to identify. Layered voice analysis has also been used to test for insurance fraud on the TV program Big Brother Australia. This is how they, they market the idea into your brain and then bring it out into uh, situations you're going to run into. So it's familiar to you. Layered voice analysis has limitations including the inability to trace the vocal patterns of a person with a speech impediment. But the system is more effective than current security measures, claims Lieberman, who's selling, of course, who believes a terrorist currently can pass through airport security with explosive material that can take down any plane. I wonder how they can do that. In fact, many experts express little confidence in the current state of airport security. It's amazing how these experts say that, but they're all involved in selling stuff, isn't it? Philip Baum, London-based editor of Aviation Security International magazine, says would-be terrorists could slip, easily slip through security checkpoints, even with new regulations that check for liquids. The archaic system of an X-ray machine and metal detector cannot pick up other potential threats posed by passengers, Baum says. I can have a ceramic weapon or chemical weapons and walk through an archway metal detector and it won't be picked up. Israel also designed that too. There's a little, little guns for assassination and they made them out of ceramics so they wouldn't be picked up with their own security equipment. They're on both sides, you see, selling this and that. Here we have huge faith in these metal detectors that can only pick up one substance. Laviv, whose consulting firm focuses on securing mass transportation systems, is equally skeptical. It's possible today to hijack an aircraft using only five or six able-bodied passengers who are well-trained in kung fu fighting, he says. There's no technology in place in the airports to detect, detect a threat like that. They'd have to put up a, a, a subliminal picture of Bruce Lee or something to see they get all hot and bothered. The question is, 
through a desire to, be look, to look for each and every threat agent rather than focus our efforts on identifying the violent intention of the passenger. So, once again, you can see again what I was talking about earlier on the earlier documents I was reading, where they're training children from birth, basically from kindergarten, to be padded down to go through checkpoints and security screening and electronic screening to be monitored, fingerprinted, iris scanned, and have their backpacks checked. And this is for a whole worldwide society they're being trained for a future that's coming into place now. And all this stuff is only part of it. To make you think it's normal that wherever you go, wherever you go, you must be screened at all times. And even, you know, it's never going to be enough, never ever going to be enough to keep the big boys happy because their goal is ultimately to have you chipped. And they may probably start with the chip in the arm, but it'll go on to the brain chip ultimately. That's the agenda. Because only when everyone is 100% predictable, 100% predictable, can they they feel safe at the very, very top. They've conquered the world. You see, this is a battle for your mind. Literally, a battle for your mind. And most folk have lost the battle already and don't even know it just by watching TV every day of their life. They don't know. There's a battle going on. This all ties in with the new doctrine of neuroscience, as they call it, and predictability. Neuroscientific predictability. We'll be back with more on this after the following break. Lots of emails, 
check things out on the websites and so on. And then after the show, it's a matter of them being uploaded to all the different sites. That takes a lot of time and energy. So it's a, it's not something you would pick as a career or as a job. Believe you me, it takes seven days a week to try to try get everything done, and it's impossible to ever ever come close to that. You just can't do it. There's always stuff left behind that you try and get back to, but even then, you've got to leave a lot of it. But we are going into another year, as I say, and it's up to everyone out there to educate themselves very, very quickly on the truth. The truth is the hardest thing to find in a totally controlled society. And we are under a totally controlled society. Remember, the media is not there to inform you of stuff that you really should know for your own benefit. That's not its job. Its job is to collect money for its bosses because they're private companies. News media outlets are private companies. And they depend themselves on advertising to keep them going. And so often they can't criticize those that advertise with them. I mentioned the Fox the Fox team the other day that tried to take their own Fox News to, to court because they were not allowed to go ahead with the Monsanto story. Monsanto had leaned on Fox. And they went all the way to the court. The judge ruled that the news, any news media, it's no law that any news media must tell the public the truth. I'm glad someone said it at last. Something I've always, we've always known. Lots of us have known this. And when they do give you certain truths, they're always partial truths. That's the easiest way to direct a person's conclusion is by giving them a partial truth, but never the whole truth. That's how education works too. Part of a story, children get part of a story, they think in black and white. There's no gray area, and they're left with their conclusions, their predetermined conclusions. That's how they use children and why they use them. Well, that's it for tonight. So we're at the end of the year from Hamish and myself in a very cold Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.